0: This morning, I want you to stand on your feet, the Logic Church, for the first time at the Logic Church conference. I want us to appreciate the gift of God, the grace in this man, Reven Peter Ayo Alabi. Please appreciate him as he comes. Church, come on, clap your hands. Give God praise for this gift. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Let me celebrate Dr. Flourish and the first lady of this church. Come on, you can do better than that this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for this opportunity and I'm glad to really see Bishop again and um, for the first time, Dr. Phil and his wife. Let me, let me just celebrate these wonderful people. They're going to make it easier for me to preach this morning. Hallelujah. And help me celebrate the leadership of this church, the workers, the team, That does everything here. God bless you in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this great opportunity. And This morning, Lord, we receive utterance in the Holy Ghost for this ministration. Let your word distill upon us like the dew upon the herbs. Let it settle upon us. Let our lives be transformed. Let your word go forth without hindrance. Thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody said aloud, amen. Please be seated. Hallelujah. The theme of this conference is very, very, very powerful. Jesus plus nothing. And I like the text, which is Matthew 17 and verse 5. You know, Jesus was already on his way to the cross. And then he takes his disciples to pray on the mountain. That mountain would later be called and still now being described as the Mount of Transfiguration. Because, you see, his face was altered. They saw it. But there was something else they saw uh, on that mountain. And it was the fact that they saw Moses and Elijah. Now, by the way, you need to understand, if you read further down in Matthew 17, you will notice what they saw was a vision. Because, Bible says in verse 9, when they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus said to them, he said, he gave them a charge and said, See that you tell no man the vision. So, it was a vision, actually. Uh, and I'll tell you why that's very important because, you see, there are many implications to how we read and interpret scriptures that goes far beyond just that reading. Because if it was not a vision, then it would be right for a dead person to appear to you. And that would never be God's will. Once a person is dead, is dead. Bible says that it is appointed for man to die once. And after that is judgment. And some people say you know my old grandmother showed up in my dream and she's giving me instructions no that's the devil. Do you see now because the devil can appear. The Bible says after all they appear even as angels of light. So you need to understand it was a vision and Jesus is very deliberate because he had to call it a vision because that is what it is. So that people will not read the Bible and have a wrong expectation that God can send somebody from the dead. To bring a message to you. God doesn't do that. Do you remember the story Jesus told of Lazarus and the rich man? Now, that was not a parable. You see, because in the parables of Jesus, there were no specific figures. He didn't use real life people. As a matter of fact, parables are actually fictions. And and that's why, for example, the interpretation of a parable cannot come from anybody else but the one who told it. You know, if you have uh, little children growing up, you know, uh, I have a son who, who is very, you know, active and he likes to play, you know. And sometimes he takes some of his toys and then he's, he's acting out some movie in his head and he's making sounds a, mm, and all that. And one day my wife asked me, I said, David, what are you doing? You know, uh, and when she asked that question, he, he came with his, you know, narrative and said, this one is this and this is going to happen next. And then I looked and said, this is exactly what the parable is. It's fiction. There is no way my wife or myself could see my son dramatizing things from his head and then claim to have the interpretation to what he's doing. It's not possible. That's the same way you cannot read the parables of Jesus and bring your meaning to it. You can't do that. And every parable Jesus told, he explained it right there in scriptures. For example, Luke 18, the Bible says, He took a parable and began to say to them, Men ought always to pray and not to faint. He said, this is the purpose of the parable. So he told the parable about the, the, the wicked judge, the unjust judge, and the widow who needed justice. Now, there is no way you will bring another meaning to that parable because Jesus already told us what it meant. That the purpose of this parable is that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So that parable cannot mean anything else. You see, because the word of God cannot mean today what it did not mean yesterday when it was written. You know, because, you know, people read the Bible sometimes and see the Holy Ghost that inspired it doesn't have a mind. Are you getting this now? The fact that it is a written document doesn't mean it is lifeless. If you look at the life of Jesus on the earth, you know, there were many things people could have admired about Jesus. But really, people didn't admire his dress, his shoes, his hair. The color of his skin. The tone of his voice. People were always amazed at his words. The things he said. He finished preaching at some point and he said, we've never had this kind of wisdom. What manner of wisdom is this? In Mark 6, same thing happened. He said, what wisdom is this? His words. His words matter the whole lot. And so you understand. So he, he spoke about the rich man and then he mentions Lazarus. Now, that is not a fiction. That is Jesus by the designing of spirit seen into the realm of the spirit, and then it, it mentions Abraham as well, and then it's giving details. Did you see that? So that was no parable, and you notice you see the the rich man he said was at the uh, the bosom of Abraham. I mean in hell, then Lazarus at the bosom of um, uh, Abraham, and so the rich man is saying, send Lazarus to my brothers. In other words, like he says, so that in case, at least if somebody came from the dead, they would believe. And right there in that story, Jesus said, Abraham responded, that is not going to happen. And don't forget, I'm trying to let you see how God will not send a dead person to you. He's not going to send a dead person to you. And so Jesus already established that. He said, no, Abraham said, that's not going to happen. He said, if they don't believe the prophets, and he's referring again to the written word. He said, neither will they believe if someone were to come from here to them, from the dead. So, God doesn't use dead people to talk to his children. It is demons that appear like that. And they use it to torment people, to confuse people. You see, the word of God has to be final authority in your life. There is nothing above God's written word. And I mean absolutely nothing. You know, we live in a time where there are a lot of people saying all kinds of things now. People use some terminologies when you hear them run away. Portals, realms. Oh, you've heard them. My God. Dimensions. Dimensions. They are dangerous dimensions. (laughs) And I tell you, I'm being serious about this because these are dangerous things. God warns about us not moving away from the simplicity of the gospel. And I tell you, if it is too complex, God is not in it. Because you see, sometimes some of these terminologies are the things that makes God look like he's elusive. He doesn't want to, you know, some people are looking, so what's the will of God for my life? Then it looks like something you have to, to kill yourself to know. Yeah, they say it's a mystery. Whereas God is more willing to show you his plan. He's more willing to reveal himself. So they say God walks in mysterious ways. I don't think so. A person who gave you 66 books about himself is not planning to be mysterious. We should ask you, how many have you written about yourself? And when you read through the Bible, God is saying, look at me, I'm here. I'm all yours. that's why you notice that the Bible says in Hebrews 1 that God who at sundry times in diverse manners spoke to our fathers by the prophets. If you read that in the originals it says in many different revelations each of which set forth a portion of the truth. Because revelation is progressive but all revelation culminates in Christ. As soon as Jesus showed up Hebrews 1 3 says he's the express image of his person. He's the brightness of his glory. So when Jesus came, Jesus came as the full expression of God. Jesus is God on two feet. And he stayed long enough on earth for men to see him, feel him, touch him, hear him. He made his mind known to men. That this is what I think about different issues. So they brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. So Jesus, what do you think? Whatever Jesus said in that matter, that is God's verdict. And that's why you must understand when they came down from that mountain and, you know, they had seen uh, Moses and Elijah in a vision. You know, you know anyone would come and say, wow, we've seen great things today. But Jesus says to them, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. And what was he trying to say? Don't glorify experiences above the world. Don't do it. Encounters. That's another word that you should be aware of in this generation. Don't glorify them above the word. Can I even tell you? Is it not interesting that the Lord himself died, went to hell, saw things, came back from the grave? And when he rose from the dead, for 40 days he said nothing about it. All he did was scriptures, scriptures, scriptures. He looks at his disciples and he's mad at them for one reason. Oh fool slow of heart to believe. Luke 24. He said, he said, ought not Christ to have died, to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then the Bible says, and beginning from Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them the things concerning himself, not the experience, the things concerning himself in the scriptures. You can't have an experience greater than what happened in those three days. We, yet when Jesus came from the grave alive, he did not emphasize experiences. It took them back to the Word. It took them back to the Word. Because these days we have uh, sometimes made mistakes of glorifying our experiences. I don't have a problem with sharing testimonies. But you see, when you read the book of Acts, it's amazing. Paul's testimony was shared three times in the book of Acts alone. Do you know what that testimony was about? It's his testimony of how he met the Lord on the road to Damascus and how he received life eternal. It was not a testimony of things God gave him. It was a testimony of the life God gave him. Three times, Acts 9, Acts 22, Acts 26. Three times, one man is testimony three times in one book. A book that was supposed to be the summary of the church but they told his own story three times. Why? Because that testimony had to do with the glorifying of the finished works of Christ. No wonder he was the one God entrusted with the doctrine and revelation of identification. Because on the way to Damascus, he's struck by that light and then he looks into that light and says, you know, and the Lord Jesus speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And so he asked him a question. Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus Christ whom thou persecutest. And that's a very strong statement because Paul is warning, I haven't met you. I haven't touched you. I didn't strike you. I didn't arrest you. So how come you are saying, you are the one I'm persecuting. But you see, in that statement, Jesus is introducing himself to Paul on the basis of the doctrine of identification. If you touch the body, it is me you touched. Paul started his Christian life on the grounds of revelation of identity with Christ Jesus. And I believe God didn't do that by chance because whatever God wants to do everywhere, it starts somewhere. What he wants to do for everyone is starts with someone. That is the basis upon which a new convert should be taught. The doctrine of identification. That we are his body, his flesh, and his bones. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he said, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Ephesians 5, 30, he said, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. He that is joined to the Lord, 1 Corinthians 6, and verse 17, is one spirit with him. So when he says to Saul of Tarsus, I am Jesus whom you persecute. And I was saying to him, when you stoned Stephen, that was me. And when you look at Paul's teachings and his epistles, everything is about identity in Christ. He uses the phrase in Christ a hundred and thirty times. One hundred and thirty times. In fact, that phrase in Christ comes in different shades. By him, in whom, of whom, through whom. And I'll tell you, they are, according to many Bible commentators, they are the keys to understanding the gospel. That, That phrase, in Christ, we are in him. Did you see that? In the beloved. Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. Are you seeing this? That is the basis for it. And it is impossible, and I repeat, it is impossible. You see, because those prepositions are very important. In fact, some Bible commentators say that the English language is so weak that those prepositions almost go unnoticed. Because when the revelation calls on English language to interpret what these things mean, it fails. It fails woefully. And that's the reason why after Paul had taught and taught all those churches, he would still have to pray for them that look everything I'm teaching you requires spiritual comprehension and that's what better what we call the Pauline prayers yeah. at Ephesians 1:16. Paul is praying that God will grant unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know you see because this Christianity is knowledge based mm-hmm. What is the hope of his calling? What is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And you may know what is the exceeding, verse 19, greatness of his power to us word. Who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his right hand above principalities, far above actually principalities and powers, dominion, might, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. He's made him to be the head of all things of so the church which is his body I always like to add something to that of which I am a part <laughs> you know now in my church we pray that prayer four times a day four times every day we praying now for over 80 days just take everybody through it it will change your life it will make the bible have its real meaning to you like what Dr. Flores was saying earlier on we can preach and it will look like we copied each other's notes. Because the Bible has one meaning, Christ. One message, one, message, one, message. one message. Jesus only. First Corinthians 2 to Paul said, I was determined to know nothing else amongst you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's all about Jesus. And it can never be about him and us at the same time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And somebody will say, so, so where do we fit in? In Christ, that's where we fit Are you getting this? That's where we fit in. And that's what the gospel is about. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. You see, the key word is believer there. It's the operative word. You see, the gospel is not the power of God unto salvation to everyone. It is only to those who believe it. Because if we, don't, if we don't emphasize that, we will, we will veer off into universalism. Universalism is the error that states that people don't even need to believe. Everybody is already saved. They say God is too kind to send people to hell. Actually, he doesn't send nobody to hell. People go to hell. <laughs> in Mark 16, verse 15, Jesus began to speak and giving the charge. And he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Verse 16 says, he that believeth and is baptized, shall be saved. He says, but he that believeth not is damned. So who damned him? I know sometimes you just to be like, God damn it. But it doesn't apply in the gospel. God damns no man. Men damn themselves. The unbelief of a man is his own damnation. That's the damnation. That's the condemnation. In fact, John 3, Jesus said it when he was preaching to Nicodemus. He said, This is the condemnation of the world that light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. God is so loving and so respectful, he will respect your choice to go to hell. Even though it is not his will. He's going to respect that choice. And that's the reason why. Until a man breathes his last, God still gives him a chance to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because the gospel is not God looking to destroy the world or condemn the world. John three sixteen very popular. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 17 says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Very clear. God says, this is not why I sent my son. Anyone you see preaching to condemn people has not heard the gospel of Christ. He hasn't. He didn't send his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might believe. Verse 18 says, he that believeth, did you see, is not condemned. He said, but he that believeth not is condemned already for one reason, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. It's as simple as that. So he did the work and he calls us to believe. Amazingly, the faith to believe the gospel is not left to you to find for yourself. The gospel itself carries that faith and imparts it to your heart. Romans 10:17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Actually, if you read it in the original Greek, what he says is, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word preached. And that word is about Christ, because remember, if you go back in verse six, that same chapter, Romans ten, he says, he says, the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise: Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend that is to bring uh, uh, to, uh, to bring Christ down, or who shall descend to rise him from the dead? Verse eight says, But the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 10 says, for it is with the heart that man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And you see examples of that in the Bible. The thief on the cross whether left or right side doesn't matter. (laughs) But he was a thief. And he was on the cross. This guy is right there at the point of death. And all he did on that cross was what Romans 10 says. He believed and confessed. He says to Jesus, Remember me in your kingdom. Now, in the first place, how did he know there was a kingdom? He has heard the gospel before. <laughs> I'm
1: very passionate about
0: soul winning, so I-, I love to teach and train about soul winning. And I said to people, most times when you preach to a person, the fact that they reacted or acted as though they were not paying attention or they were not interested they did not even make a decision doesn't mean you failed the word is a seed you already seeded them that guy had been seeded before that day and so at that point in his life everything flashes and then he's looking at Jesus beside him and then his heart believes this has to be the son of God he talked about the kingdom. I believe in that kingdom, and Jesus answers him immediately. And notice, Jesus didn't say, "You have to do restitution; everything you stole, return it." You know, everybody, you you know, whatever wrongs you did, you've got to go back and find. He can't even do it. He's already condemned to the cross to die. That is how you will know that you don't get saved by confessing sin. You get saved by confessing Jesus. And you also realize that forgiveness is not a reward for repentance. No. You only repent so you can take what has been offered already. It's not after you repent, God now says, all right, so I forgive you. You know, the way we, we apologize to each other, you know, you have to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it's okay, okay, I will consider it. That's not God. Because that's why many people have this false idea about God. That God in the Old Testament, very bad guy, angry. You know, he has temper issues. <laughs> then Jesus came in the New Testament to convert him. You know, many would think God is a convert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but no. Second Corinthians 5, 17, 18, and 19. He said, wherefore, well, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. <laughs> if I want one Bible commentator said that statement in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 should have about 10 exclamation marks. Said because they believe Paul was yelling it when he said it. Wow. Any man being Christ he is a new creature. All things have passed away. He said, "Behold, all things have become." Wow. And then in the verse eighteen, he says, "All things are of God, who had recon- look at that. Who by himself reconciled us to himself through our Lord Jesus Christ, and has committed to us the." Ministry of reconciliation. 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing. Not imputing means not counting their sins. One translation says God is God was not counting, but he was cancelling sins. Cancelling. And did we see Jesus do that in his earthly ministry? Everywhere, he said, go and sin no more. He's cancelling the sin. You know, they quote one scripture from Psalm 130, and it says, you know, if, if thou should mark iniquity, who will stand? Did you hear when you were growing up? There is those scales. If you were a church boy like me, and you grew up in some very, very old, orthodox, very, very conservative, extremely conservative churches. Churches where when you enter, you see, let all souls be quiet. Holiness for the Lord, that kind of thing. The Lord is in his holy temple. (laughs) And the core of that scripture, I see that that chapter ended there. But it didn't end there. He said, but there is forgiveness with thee. That men may fear you refer you and that was a question if the Lord should mark iniquity he didn't say he's marking if he should you better be glad he's not and in the New Testament we see clearly he came in Christ to reconcile the world to himself that's what he came to do and that's why you see what he expects of man is to believe so when the gospel is preached the faith to believe the gospel is imparted When you hear the gospel. So the gospel does not demand faith. It imparts faith. It imparts faith. In Galatians 3, 5, He said, He therefore that ministered to you the Spirit and worked miracles amongst you. He said, Do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. So the hearing of the gospel is the hearing of faith. Hebrews 4, 2, the same gospel preached to us was preached to them. Talking about those in in the Old Testament, the generation that came out of Egypt. He said, But it did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith. In them that heard it. Do you see that? So it means when they, when they heard the gospel, they rejected it. And you read Hebrews 3, it tells you right there. They rejected the gospel. They hardened their hearts. They didn't, they didn't want to hear. In fact, that's how you know sometimes some of the miracles Moses did, if you go to 1 Corinthians 10, he was using symbols and figures of speech to preach the gospel to them. The manna they ate was supposed to be a figure of something to them, which is Christ. In John 6, Jesus made it clear. He said, I am the bread that came from heaven. The true one. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they are dead. Why did they die? Because when they ate the manna, they didn't see the substance behind the manna. That Moses is trying to show them. They didn't see it. And we got to be glad because in our day now, God doesn't talk to us in types and shadows anymore. And I believe that's part of the, you know, the body I seen had of Dr. Flourish about this conference. That we don't mix law and religion, types and shadows with the reality that is in Christ Jesus. When the reality comes, you've got to step away from the shadows. That's why we don't come to church with bulls, goats, rams and blood to to do, to offer unto God anymore because Jesus is our sacrifice. All those things they did. That's why he he said to Moses, see that you build according to the pattern shown you. What is that pattern? Jesus is the pattern shown him. God has no two patterns the only pattern of God is Christ so he said to Moses try to interpret it to the people so he he built the tabernacle and that tabernacle is simply the body of Christ is trying to exemplify in the shadow but glory to God in Christ now is a reality it's a reality that's why we don't come to church now and then there is the outer court, the inner court and the most holy place no, no, no The, the old place is open to you and I They built temples in the Old Testament. There's the tabernacle of Moses, the first one. There's a tabernacle Solomon built. Very, very extravagant. Very, very. Because before, before David died, David made all the materials they needed available. From the spoils of war. Gave it to Solomon to build. And Solomon built something magnificent. Yet in Isaiah, God came and said, through Isaiah, that the Lord Almighty does not live in temples built with hands. And that means something with hands means God doesn't use what he didn't make. God is very classy. So which temple will God now live in? Ephesians 2:10. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works with God before a day that we should walk in them. So he crafted his own temple by himself. And that temple is the man in Christ. And this one, he didn't come as a divine visitation. He has come to stay. You know one thing I found about the Holy Ghost? He doesn't sleep outside. He's always at home. In the Old Testament, if something happens, you know, the Holy Ghost will come, you know, the Spirit will come upon them and live. No more. He lives with us now. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. I will be boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what man can do unto me. So the gospel imparts the faith to believe it. And and I tell you this about the gospel. is that sometimes we want to say, all we just preach is the gospel. So what about healing the sick? It's in there. Ah. At Lystra, in Acts 14, at Lystra, Paul is preaching. And there's the guy there, the Bible says, impotent from his mother's womb, never walked in his life. The same heard Paul preach, verse 8, 9, and 10. And the Bible says, Paul fastened his eyes on him and perceived the guy had faith to be healed. Where did the faith to be healed come from? The gospel. In Luke five seventeen, Jesus is preaching and the Bible says, the power of God was present to heal. It wasn't a healing service. Jesus is just preaching the gospel. Many times I'm preaching the word of God and people come and say, as you were preaching, I got healed. Pastor, I'm talking right now, some of you just suddenly feel a warm sensation in the part of your body where you need healing and that's it. And that's it. Because the word of God is quick. Hebrews 4.12. Powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the word. It's not just letters. John 6.63. The flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit that quickeneth. That is the spirit makes alive. The word that I say unto you. They are spirit and they are life. They are spirit and they are life. And I tell you. God has nothing more to give you than his word. That's all he can give That's all God has to give you. There's nothing more. Anything you want from God, it is the word he sends. That's why if you take his word for granted, you'll be stranded. Because there's nothing more God has to give than his word. Because that word is he himself. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. It was that word that is God himself that stepped into time. John 14. And the word was made flesh. And then dwelt among us. Jeremiah calls, I mean Isaiah calls it Emmanuel. God with us. He was not just a temporary thing. God with us is an eternal reality. He is forever man with us. Because when he rose from the dead. Hebrews 10 still calls him a man. But this man is referring to him. After he rose from the dead. He is still man. And he is still God. He loves man too much. Are you hearing me somebody? Paul is speaking to Timothy 1, verse 2, and verse 5. There is one mediator between God and man. And he says, the man. He still describes him as the man. You know, and the reason is because, you know, I'll I'll probably do a little more in the evening. But let me just touch a few things as foundation. Because you need to understand the reason. Why did he even become man? You see, because he became man so that he could die for man. It is the soul that sinned that must die. So if it is man that sinned, man must also be the one to die. But man, there was no way for a man to die and rise from the dead by himself. God had to do it. So he became man for the purpose of death. Hebrews 2.14 For as long as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. That through death, he might destroy he that had the power of death that is the devil. Philippians two. And verse 5, let his mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. Who though was in the form of God thought it no robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and became and was found in the likeness of a man. Being found in fashion as a man, the Bible says he became obedient to death, verse 8. And even the death of the cross. So notice it was only going to be possible for God to die when he became man. Are you seeing this now? That's why he became man. As a matter of fact, you see, the whole work of redemption rests on the strength of the incarnation. If you remove the incarnation, the work Jesus did becomes a scam. It had to be a man. A man. Flesh and blood had to be the one that hung on that cross. But it was God. You know, I was sitting in church recently and I was saying, "Is God, is man. I said, yeah. It's like water. Whether it's in a gaseous state, liquid state, or solid state, it is still what? Water. water. So Jesus is walking towards John at the Jordan, John 129, John 136. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. You see, because these are basic facts of the gospel. If I like four major facts of the gospel, it begins with the incarnation that God became man. The second fact of the gospel is his death, then his burial, then his resurrection. Then add one more. It's ascension to the right hand. And that right hand is not a geographical right hand. It means authority. I was quoting Philippians 2, 5, 6, 7, 8. Then the ninth verse says, Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name. That name is the right hand. is authority. The name there is from the Greek word onoma. So, it wasn't like there was a christening when he rose over there. That Ah, this is our son. What's I believe his name? No, no, no. You see, because it was God saying, I confide you with authority. Yes. Authorization. He gave him the authority. And by the way, the authority given to Christ upon resurrection was not for him. It was for the church. He didn't need it. He gave that name to you and I. We have the power of attorney to use the name of Jesus and I mean everybody who is saved has the power of authority and and, and I I don't mean to sound blasphemous but when we say in the name of Jesus it's not necessarily that you add it to every prayer like in Jesus name no that's not what the name means the name means you came in that capacity that's what it means are you seeing that? Because if you read it, Mark 6, said, this sign shall follow them that believe. Verse 17, in my name the castle, devils, my name they speak with new tongues. Now, do you say in Jesus' name before you speak in tongues? No. no. It's okay. It's okay, now, are you getting this now? So it's not like you to say, I want to speak in tongues. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. No. no, no. He's simply saying these are the expressions of this authority. When you speak in tongues, that's authority at work. And that's why you see I began to talk about Paul earlier on All these things are a function of you Seeing that unification That, that union between you and Christ Because in his name actually his, his union with Christ It's like I stand in his place In his authority We mean the same thing We carry the same value and worth You know God doesn't love Jesus More than he loves you He doesn't It's there in the Bible The first time I heard it I freaked out myself I was listening to Kenneth Hagin, 22,000, 20, 23 years ago. And he said, God doesn't love you uh, less than he loves Jesus. I mean, I'm like, what was what, what this person saying? And then he quoted the scripture, John 17, 23, that the world might know that you have loved them just as you have loved me. Why, why would God love you and love Jesus the same way? Because you now mean the same thing to him. You carry the same weight. You are as righteous as Jesus is righteous. Not less. He didn't give us inferior righteousness. We are not smaller sons. We are sons. In fact, it's a fellowship of sonship. 1 Corinthians one nine, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. And you see, that word fellowship is operative because fellowship means, it means two or more people in a union where they share all things in common. Meaning, if it is found in one of them, it must be found in all of them. So, we are in fellowship of sonship with Christ. So, it means everything in Christ is now in you. Same righteousness, same holiness, same authority, same position, same possession. And and what this means, and sincerely, I I hope you know I'm not trying to psych you up. You know, because the gospel usually sounds too good to be true. (laughs) Are you seeing what I'm talking about? And what it simply means is that the same righteousness, if there is a scale to measure righteousness, if you stand on it, Jesus stands on it, we weigh the same thing. If if I weigh less than Christ, redemption is a scam. But we weigh the same. And what it means is that our words carry as much power as the words of Jesus Christ. Carries the same power. And I mean, carries the exact same power. As in, the same way Jesus looked at the storm and said, Be still. And the seas and the winds obeyed him. They will obey you. It's the reality. It is the reality. And that's why you see, you, we come to church to learn this thing. And it has to be revelation. You know one thing about revelation? Until it captures your imagination, it is not revelation. Revelation captures. See, revelation unlocked by the Holy Ghost captures the imagination of a man. And that's why, you see, all Paul's prayer is that you will see, you will know. Is, you see, the Holy Ghost is the spirit of knowing. That is his major assignment in our lives. He makes us know things. John 16, 12 and 13, Jesus said, I have many things I want to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. It, and I'm glad he didn't say you will never be able to bear them. He said, for now. And that for now is based on the Holy Ghost has not been given to you because this was before the cross. He said, How be it when the Spirit of truth shall come, He will guide you into all truth. That truth is actually in the re- original reality, it guides us into reality. That's why we call them realities of redemption, new creation realities. They are not new creation fantasies, they are not new creation ambitions or speculations. These things are real. And that's why God gave that revel- those revelations to Apostle Paul. And you see, the revelations of Apostle Paul, even though they are already captured in writing, it is revelation you are reading when you read the epistle. So, you know, because people have a funny idea about revelation. They say, you know, a revelation came to me. <laughs> see, God said, it's a very powerful statement for divine guidance, divine leading, but not for Bible interpretation. It will never be correct when you are trying to interpret Scripture. And say, God said to me about this verse. No, God didn't say anything to you. Anything about that verse is already written in the Bible. So follow that one. Follow that one. You follow that one. You know you have no opinion about the, the scriptures. Because if you are beginning to say this, what I think about it, that's what it's called. I see Jesus. You read your own meaning into the text. Very dangerous. Thing. That's how people become false prophets and Babalao. And DJ on the mix. I saw your message, DJ. <laughs> My wife and I were watching it. <laughs>
1: Once you start
0: that one, you are not preaching gospel, it's Lamba you are preaching. <laughs> and I will tell you, many cults started from that. My opinion of the Bible. That's, where, that's how cults start. There are entire denominations misled on the basis of, this is, this is my opinion about the text. Yeah, the way I see it, you know, this is, this is my view. <laughs> and I tell you, that is gross disrespect to the word of God. Because in 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21, Peter said, Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of scripture came by private interpretation. Says this is the first thing to know. He did, so those people didn't just talk because this is what they felt. Yeah. He said the prophecy of all time did not come by the will of man, verse twenty-one. He said, but holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The word "moved" is from the Greek word "pharaoh." It means to be carried, inspired. They didn't say things because this is my opinion. God, by His Spirit, moved them to speak. In fact, some of them said some of those things under some specific circumstances. Without knowing that they were saying things beyond those circumstances, they didn't get it. Second, Second Chronicles twenty twenty, King Ez- uh, Ezekiah is speaking and he said, "Believe the Lord your God, so shall you be established." Do you know the establishment he's talking about? Isaiah chapter fifty four fourteen, "In righteousness shall you be established." How does a man become righteous? With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and he is saying to them, far back in the midst of a crisis, but the Spirit of God has come upon him. He's saying things beyond the situation. Yes. So believe the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. So for in righteousness shall ye be established, Isaiah fifty-four fourteen. Say, so and, and you shall not fear. He said, I'm from terror, for he shall not come near you. You know, the greatest terror of man is the fear of eternal damnation. Even when he cannot even experience it himself. And that's why this salvation we are preaching is not anualo. It's not until next time you see no. Oh. It's eternal salvation. Oh. Yes. And you are better be glad it's eternal. <laughs> Otherwise, certain scriptures should be edited from the Bible. If Jesus didn't save us to the uttermost, then Philippians 4 6, we should remove it because you should be anxious for everything. <laughs> I tell you. But we rest in what Jesus did, we rest in what He finished that's why it's called finished or because he finished it he completed it and i tell you when you can rest knowing that he has saved you to the uttermost you should have no worries about life anymore the god who was able to save you eternally so you think he cannot take care of your finances what salvation you didn't pray for i hope you know salvation is not an answer to prayer nobody prayed to be saved of his own will, James 1 begat he us by the word of truth sovereignly. Jonah chapter 2, Jonah says, Salvation is of God, none of man. Is that a response? Is that as if we're crying, God, come and save us? No, no, no. He came of his own will. Romans 5 8, God commended his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died. We're not even thinking about him. So, salvation is not God running to, I mean, man running to God, it's God running after man. So when people say, when I found Jesus, no, you didn't find, he found you. Oh. He found you. You see, that is the basis of our Christianity. And that's why, you see, even Jesus saying about our needs, even our physical needs, Matthew 6. He said, your heavenly father knows you have need. It's time now, yeah. Because you didn't give me clothes, so I was worried. <laughs> I can preach till to tomorrow morning. <laughs> Somebody went to preach somewhere and then he was asking for the clock. He didn't find it. So the woman told him and said, Don't worry, there is a calendar behind you. So you can be preaching, just be watching calendar since there's no clock. (laughs) 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 And I'm just giving you this as foundation. In the evening, I will continue from there. Can you stand to your feet? Glory to God. keep clapping keep keep clapping keep clapping church my god